Welcome to episode 22 of Canberra Conversations and today we are talking about anxiety. Now anxiety is something that many of us will have experienced previously or will go on to experience in our lives and today I've got a specialist on, Shane Haran, who addresses where anxiety comes from as well as ways that we can manage it as well. It's going to be a super insightful episode and I know we've touched very briefly in certain episodes on mental health and well-being but this is an episode where we specifically focus on that. So I'm glad to be able to bring that to my audience. Speaking of my audience, it is continuing to grow and I'm so, so thankful for the continued support throughout this period. One of the best ways that we can continue to grow is obviously sharing on Instagram stories and social media, but also share it with a friend that over WhatsApp or iMessage that you think should hear this particular episode or any other episodes that you've really enjoyed and we can continue to share hopefully fantastic positive content that I'm going to continue to work on producing. Without any further ado, let's get into the podcast. folks and welcome back to another episode of Cambro Conversations and today we are having a conversation with Mr. Shane Haran, anxiety coach and specialist. Shane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thanks for having me. It's a, it's, it's, it's a funny one how I stumbled across Shane's content. I actually listened to, to Shane on friend of the show Ro Anwar's podcast, it would have been last August and I never considered myself uh, an anxious person and the way that Shane framed it and spoke around it made me consider certain things which have shaped me throughout my life and certain ways that I've reacted to situations, which actually made me understand that perhaps there are elements of anxiety within my lifestyle. And I'm sure everyone listening will feel maybe a bit of a similar way and have a bit of a roadmap forward after we have this conversation. So Shane, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a a background on you for anyone that's not already tuned into your fantastic Instagram page? Well, not to bore people too much without getting into too much detail. Um, but looking back, I've probably experienced anxiety my whole life. <clears throat> I never even acknowledged it or even recognised it. So until, you know, maybe sort of like four, probably about sort of four, three, four years ago, um, I had no idea what anxiety was. You know, it never even occurred to me. Mental health wasn't even a thing. You know, even the emotional sort of stuff wasn't even a thing. I was just a typical guy going through life and, just, just kind of plodding along, right? I didn't really kind of even feel like I had an issue. Um, yeah. And then, you know, one day I was a normal kind of stressed person, struggled with sort of stress and things like that. And looking back now, I, re- I realized that I probably had a, a lot of issues. Um, most of it's going to be in terms of how anxiety manifests is in relationships, uh, relationships with, you know, your partner, your friends, how you socialize. And, you know, where I sort of come from a bodybuilding sort of background or a kind of fitness background, as you know, it, it kind of just fits in with social anxiety because yeah. you're not going out drinking, you're not going out socializing. So I think I hit it very well where it was almost like, oh, it was, I blamed it on sort of, oh, because I'm going to the gym or because I'm prepping. So that's why I sort of couldn't go out. So I think it, a lot of it was hidden, but it all come to a head essentially where I think it was New Year's Eve and we'd just been out for a meal, me and partner was just watching TV and then just seemingly out of nowhere, heart was going 130 beats per minute, wow. struggling to breathe, felt like a really, really tight, like someone was just sitting on my chest and 
you know, I've never been one to panic. So in my head, I've always been like, well, you know, I'm not really a panicky person. I don't experience anxiety or anything like that. Um, so I don't really think much of it. And, you know, a part of having anxiety is invalidating your feelings and invalidating your actual experience of what you're feeling. Okay. So I just kind of wanted to ignore it as most typical kind of blokes would and just pretend and hope it goes away. Um, but my partner, she was like, no, you need, to, you need to speak to a professional. You need to get an ambulance or something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just forget that. And, you know, I kind of didn't want to make a fuss. Um, but long story short, called up NHS Direct. They said, get them A&E if you can. Because anything with your heart, they generally quite on it because they can't really say, oh, yeah, you're going to be fine. Because yeah. it does sound and feel exactly like a heart attack. Um, so we got ourselves down there. They rushed us through A&E. And when they rushed me through A&E, that's when I started thinking, okay, maybe there's something to do this, you know, because yeah. normally you sit there for like three hours. They've done the heart scans, done the ECGs and, and the blood tests and like that. Come back like an hour or two later, they said, look, heart's have to be fine. We think you've just had a panic attack. I think you've experienced some level of anxiety. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, I don't feel anxious. I don't feel like I'm panicking. And they explained that this is a very common experience. Um, obviously, they see it quite a lot in A&E. They said often it's like, you know, like a duck swimming across a lake where on the surface it can look quite calm, but underneath it can be sort of going like mad. So it's almost like my nervous system was just sort of going crazy underneath it. I wasn't acknowledging it. I wasn't kind of noticing it. Um, and I must have been experiencing some anxiety. Fast forward sort of three months time, I kind of ignored it. I just kind of just pretend it wasn't really going on and, and things weren't really sort of changing. It come and go here and there. This just the feeling that just this almost like a like an inescapable feeling. And you know, you start thinking, Am I going crazy? Is there something wrong with me? You know, it's not really something I could speak to my friends about because before, oh my god, what are they gonna think about me? Yeah, um, and people don't really sort of speak about it. And eventually I kind of like chomped up the courage to go to the doctors and speak to them. And the doctor literally turned around and was like here's six months worth of pills come back in six months time and i was like what is that it he's like yeah you've got an anxiety disorder um come back six months time and let me know how you get on i'm like what no you know speaking to somebody no speaking to a therapist and like that and it didn't really offer me anything and i kind of refused it because growing up i'd, I'd see my mum take antidepressants she'd experienced depression sort of growing yeah. up and i didn't really have much faith in it i didn't really feel like it was like it was a magic fix for, for, for anyone. It's almost prescription without diagnosis. So not understanding what's happened. It's just, this is your, this is your symptoms and what you're suffering from. Here's what we deem to be a, a kind of sticking plaster to, to deal with it for now. Well, I mean, sort of, if, if you actually kind of look into it, you know, they say it's about imbalance for your neurotransmitters. If it was that case, then why don't they test it? They've never tested anyone's neurotransmitters. It doesn't exist. Yep. Whereas if I had high blood pressure, they would test my blood pressure and then they would titrate the dose specifically for me to get myself in the, in the right range. But again, it's still kind of plastering over it. So I kind of just left there and just infused it. And I, I left there feeling even worse than I went in. I felt kind of a bit helpless and hopeless going into it. Felt even worse thinking, right, well, if the doctor can't help me, who can, right? Yeah. So I thought, you know what? I've always been quite, you know, growth minded. I've always been quite into sort of personal development anyway. And I thought, there must, I can't be the only person in the world who's experienced this. So I kind of went and researched and I'm good at finding out information. Um, so I read every book I could about anxiety. A lot of them were helpful. A lot of them weren't so helpful. A lot of them had a lot of contradictory information. Yep. And it's almost like the, the information helped, but it didn't really sort of change how I feel. Um, and then one day, one of my friends, he was studying hypnotherapy and psychotherapy at the time. He'd come around and, and he was playing around, which was just mucking about. We weren't really sort of doing anything sort of serious. But I noticed my state change. I noticed my... My body sort of shift. I felt something sort of change within me. So I said, like, huh, this is really interesting. So I thought I'd study sort of hypnotherapy and things like that. Okay. So I found out, you know, what was, you know, 
I tried to find a good course. So I, I jumped on this course and, you know, I got about sort of two or three months in and it was, it was useless. It wasn't a really good course. It was a lot of money. It's expensive. Right. And again, I felt a bit let, let down. Um, then I jumped on Facebook and simply asking other people is the best thing for recommendations. I asked for recommendations of different courses. Um, had a few recommendations. I signed up to a few of them. One of them was for chronic pain, the first sort of major course that I'd done. Yep. This course was called Old Pain to Go. Um, any old chronic pain, it seems to work on things like fibromyalgia. And when you do the course, it's a single day course, it was, and they bring in volunteers. So anybody they advertise in your local area who has any chronic pain, that they can sort of come in and, and work with any of the uh, students. Okay. I worked with this woman and she had fallen off a horse about sort of 15, 20 years ago. She had like a, a chronic knee pain and a chronic back pain. Within the four hours of me learning whatever this crazy stuff was, her knee pain went to zero and her back pain went down to a two. And it was both like a 10 and an eight. She couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it myself. I was like, well, this is, this is me sold. This is kind of like some hocus pocus sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm like a typical kind of logical left brain sort of thinker. For me, this was nuts. You know, you told me sort of this was even possible. And I get that. It's a load of rubbish. And, um, so that was kind of the start of things. And then, you know, it was experimenting and working with, with the anxiety and it works in terms of, I noticed improvements. And I went on to do loads of other courses. They helped, but it didn't really try to solve things. I started working with clients, started working with clients with anxiety as well. And I was getting results. So it was getting some success. But, you know, the funny thing was that they'd be coming in with certain issues. And I'd be like, sure, I've got that. I've got that. I've got that. And these were things that I hadn't even acknowledged were a problem. Because to me, you know, when you're so used to something, it becomes normal to you. So it doesn't even feel like it's a problem until your clients come in and go, oh yeah, these things are actually problems. Completely understand um, that, Shane. And I think when we're speaking about you being able to help your clients, it's quite often the same in fitness where you've experienced a challenge, you've understood the way forward with it or a way to deal with it or manage it or rewire or change things. And then you're able to say, listen, I've been where you are. I'm a couple of steps further ahead in this respect. I can help you take those couple of steps. And that's a fantastic position for you to be in as a, as a coach, I guess. Yeah. And that was it. Like I was basically just always a couple more steps than my client and or clients at the time. And, and they was following me along and I'd make mistakes. And, and then I, I, I discovered trauma therapy. So okay. trauma is, and being trauma informed is it's almost like fair. It's, I'm not saying it's new, but it's not being sort of newly accepted. People okay. are only kind of finding out about it. So the leading experts in trauma around, they've been around for decades, but as in terms of like accepted in terms of dealing with mental health, um, it's not really been accepted as a mainstream method, which is still not used to this day. So I understood sort of trauma, sort of started studying these different psychosensory techniques, um, and these work on a non-conscious level. So anything with anxiety or trauma, it's on a non-conscious level, because if it was your rational thinking brain, you would just think differently and you'd stop it. So I studied all these different courses, um, and then I understood polyvagal theory and your nervous system, everything like that. And that was like the, the that was the massive penny dropping. Um, I started to understand myself more, and you know I've never worked with anyone in terms of working with a kind of therapist or coach myself. Everything I've worked with to get myself where I need to be, I've done the self work, and I would work with clients. And I'd get amazing results. And I'd, you know, essentially what we call or the word that you'd use to, you know, balance someone's nervous system out, which we call it regulation. So I'd help regulate a client's nervous system. I'd get the result. They'd get amazing results themselves. Uh, the anxiety would go away, whatever the anxiety was about that I was working on. Um, and then they'd call me three months later, I'm changing the anxiety to come back. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, oh, this, this other thing, I'm, I'm still experiencing anxiety. And I treat like it's a cancer. But anxiety, it's just like a, a response. 
So one thing can make you sad. I could stop that from making you feel sad and there'll be nothing that makes you feel sad. It's yeah. a completely normal um, response to your system. So I changed my premise to, to now it's all about helping the client. So it's all about teaching the client how to do the process. Um, so now I just focus on teaching the client how to work through themselves. And then once you've learned the skill, you can apply it to every single thing that you ever experience. Yeah, to come in there, Shane, it's, it's that whole... Um... Teach them how to fish, right? Exactly that. You 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 took the words right in my mouth. That's exactly what you're what you're looking to do because it's so easy. And we'll go again back to a fitness example because that's where you coached previously. You could get somebody really lean with a twelve week plan. You never tell them why they're doing anything, and then they finish that plan. And when it comes to them doing their own diet next summer for their holiday, they have not a clue where to start because they've just followed something to the letter. Whereas if you educate them like you do with your clients around anxiety in terms of how to deal with it when it comes up and they're not a current client, then they're in a position to, to deal with it. And that's exactly that. So essentially, um, I started specializing in just working with anxiety and trauma clients. Um, I created my own process and refined it. I've made loads of mistakes. You know, I was making mistakes with clients, but it was those clients that made the biggest difference. You know, the difficult clients, because when my process wasn't working, I'm very growth-minded. I'm, I'm open to kind of making mistakes. And I, I, I see it as always a, you know, feedback. So I figured out why things wasn't working. So basically, I've essentially now created a system, a process where I can pretty much guarantee your results. Um, and for the reason why it wasn't working, I've then implemented different stages to prevent that from happening. Okay. So if you go through the full system, I can pretty much guarantee your results based on no matter where you are. So Shane, one of the questions that I had for you ahead of this conversation was, you say anxiety is a response to something. Can you give us a bit more information around what kind of things it's a response to? What goes on internally for us to feel anxious? So um, imagine, say, for any experience is fairly novel, right? Um, if I asked you as an adult now, I mean, how old are you? 27. Okay, so as a 27-year-old, when was the last time you done something brand new that you hadn't done before? It's quite rare, isn't it? It's um, yeah. So, I, I, it's probably something in work in terms of like a different presentation, something like that. And you probably experience a level of anxiety, some level of anxiety, because what yes. anxiety is? It's yeah, just that that nervousness. It's it's mobilization. It's activation of your sympathetic nervous state. Sometimes when we feel when people feel extreme anxiety, it's just an overwhelmed level. So if you just think of stress levels from zero to ten, anxiety is when it just gets that kind of overwhelmed state when you hit that, that nine or ten level. Okay. Um, and imagine that, say, for example, that's what your body would do when you're facing something quite novel, something quite new, because you don't know whether it's safe, you haven't learned it yet, your body's just getting you mobilized and getting you ready for action, just in case. Now, imagine you're growing up as a child, and if you're a three-year-old, every single experience is new. So everything we learn is conditioned. You know, if I, I use this analogy, if I pointed a gun at a baby, a baby's not going to feel threatened because it hasn't learned that threat response to the threat stimulus. So everything we do in life is completely conditioned. In the ideal scenario, we would go through a certain experience in life and we would have experienced it. We may have felt a bit overwhelmed or we would, even it was a new feeling. So especially strong feelings like guilt, shame, anger, these very kind of strong emotions, yep. we would have felt them. And in the ideal scenario, our parents would have been deeply attuned to our needs and they would have been like, they would have said, it's all right, this feeling's normal, everything's gonna be okay. And that would have been the regulation. We'd have gone, ah. But when that doesn't happen, you know, we connect this kind of this negative response to it. So anything can happen. If, say, for example, I got robbed by a guy wearing a hat and I didn't feel very safe in that moment, 
if I didn't get that regulation after, when I'm walking around, my subconscious is looking out for people with hats without me being aware of it. Yep. And then I may notice somebody with a hat without even conscious awareness. And I may start experiencing anxiety when someone with a hat is near me. Yep. So we just learn these conditioned responses. Um, and this is what all trauma is. It's something that happens inside of us as a result of something that happens or doesn't happen to us. It's that, so, it's that conditioning that you've had as a child, you're saying, that shapes you moving forward and how to react. So if, if for example, you, you gave the example of a, a gun being pointed at a baby, once they understand that that gun means danger, whether that's at three years old, four years old, five years old, every time that that happens, although it's an extreme end example, it has a significant impact. And I think one of the things that I heard you say before was around perhaps like your parents telling you off for doing a certain thing as a child in order, obviously there has to be, there has to be rules and order and structure, but maybe being told off for climbing on the furniture or running off in the supermarket, it creates a, a conditioning for you long-term. Well, we're all born with authenticity. So authenticity, uh, we've, we're born with two needs, authenticity and attachment. So authenticity is the ability to express and be true to ourselves and what we feel. So this manifests as, as you imagine, sort of young sort of three-year-olds, four-year-olds, they're very expressive. When they're happy, they're the happiest little kid in the world. When they're sad, it's the saddest thing in the world. When they're angry, they throw tantrums because, you know, it's really not fair sort of thing, you know. Um, but we also have the need for attachment. Now, we have this need for attachment because... As humans, we're largely useless and you know, we can't look after ourselves until we at least get to at least 20, right? So because we need our parents to survive and keep us alive, we will put their needs before ours. And if they're not happy or you know, if they're not accepting of us, then we will sac we'll sacrifice authenticity for attachment. Yep. So what will happen is, you know, say for example, we'll, we'll be naughty or we'll be expressing ourselves and for a tantrum, we'll get told off. And we won't get regulated. So when some kids express itself or when we express ourselves, we need the regulation. As a child, you don't know how to regulate. Your parents are there to essentially kind of calm you down and ground you. But, you know, sometimes it's not for any parents for, uh, for the parents. Sometimes they have no idea how to regulate themselves. Yep. So when our emotions are coming up and it triggers our parents' emotions, essentially, non-consciously, our body is receiving it as a rejection. So say, for example, this often happens in terms of like, say, you know, you may be feeling really upset um, and then your girlfriend or, you know, your, your mom or someone around you, they'll be like, oh, what's wrong? Like, it's okay. Like they'll try and stop you from feeling how you're feeling. Now there's yeah. nothing bad intention with that, you know, but we're like, oh, come on, cheer up. It's, it's, it's all right. Don't yeah. be so upset. But you're basically invalidating someone's feeling versus almost saying, okay, this feeling is completely normal, accepting it and then trying to understand why they feel that way. Yeah. You're almost trying to change their mood state even though you've, it's almost like you've not acknowledged that that mood state is correct at that point almost, and then to try and deal with it. Is that where you're going with that, Shane? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So when, say for example, if you're, uh, you're young and you're kind of playing out your emotions, as you do as a child, if your parents didn't play up their emotions because they're essentially saying, I can't deal with what's happening right now, that's yeah. a rejection from your parents. When that starts happening, that's when we may start, you know, people pleasing or you start sacrificing yourself and, you know, express ourselves. And when that happens, when that switch happens, when you go through certain experiences and then you don't feel comfortable talking about or telling your parents, sometimes it's because we don't bother them. Sometimes it's because our parents are stressed out themselves and we see that. Sometimes it's because our parents are unhappy. When we see that as children, we take responsibility for it. And then we experience a great deal of shame because we experience shame when we believe that we're meant to be able to do something and we can't do it. So when we grow up and we see our parents unhappy or stressed or anything like that, because we care about them and attachment is what keeps us alive, we then focus on making sure that they're okay and pleasing them. Because if they accept us, then that means we're good enough and they'll keep us alive. 
Yeah. And this is where a lot of people's kind of not being good enough or, you know, a lot of people's kind of people pleasing behaviours, it will be rooted in childhood. Um, and everything is essentially like your whole landscape, your whole how you respond to stress and how you respond to emotions, your whole resilience is built in childhood. Um, so I, I know I kind of speak about it a lot, but everything will kind of go back to that sort of point because that's how you learn everything about you. If anyone kind of knows about your subconscious between sort of birth and about eight years old, you're in subconscious dominance. You haven't really built your subconscious mind yet. Yep. Your brain's like a sponge. You're literally learning everything you can about the world, about yourself, about other people. Now, this is where sometimes we pick up the wrong things. So every, nobody lives in reality. So all of your beliefs, your rules for life, and this is where sometimes we get sort of annoyed with other people because, you know, they're not living life according to our rules. And, you know, sometimes people will treat, treat you a certain way yeah. And because you wouldn't treat other people like that, you take offense to it because then you go, oh, that must mean X, Y, Z. Of course, you've been socialized differently. So there's a clash of yeah. identity. Yeah, so it's just the way that we've been conditioned. Um, and anxiety is essentially the same way. So anxiety can be caused from unresolved experiences. It can be to learn patterns. Maybe it's your parents' way that they dealt with stress and they didn't have a very resilient landscape themselves. Um, it could be from unmet needs. Because your, your, your body is basically saying to you, you're not paying attention. Your needs aren't being met. But essentially, anxiety is, is your best friend. It's saying something's not quite right. Um, you need to start listening to your body and you need to start kind of being present and slowing down, putting on the brakes and regulating. Um, again, I'm not quite sure if that answers your question. I, do kind of I think it does bit. answer my question, Shane. How does it link into um, fight or flight? So the anxiety response is fight or flight. So anxiety is typically flight. So anytime there's a threat detected, Say, for example, you know, it could be anything overwhelming. Often it will start with a kind of thought or even without a thought, it will just happen. And the body will condition response where it will go, oh, possible threat, where we've been in this situation before. We've learned that this is maybe an uncomfortable experience. Yeah. Same way that, you know, I remember sort of being at school and, and, you know, like when they sort of, you're reading a book and everybody reads a line or something. And it's yep. coming around, you're talking, you're like, oh, please don't, please don't fuck up the words. Please don't make a mistake because all the kids are sort of going to laugh at you. Yeah. And then we almost forget that as a children and then we become adults. And then it plays out as you're in public speaking or when you're in your meeting and you're at work and you've got a particular presentation. And for some reason, your, your body is just going, no, 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 no. Yep. And it, it's an unconscious pattern that's just in there because your body's trying to protect itself. So what it does it sees it as a threat, wherever the situation is, that's what it's conditioned. It goes into the anxiety response and the anxiety response is trying to mobilize you. It's a state of mobilization. Yeah. So that's why we kind of, we get that nervous energy. That's why people can't sort of stop. They're going hundred miles an hour. And it's because it's trying to get you to kind of get yourself out of the situation or charge you up with enough drilling and cortisol to basically fight the threat. Yeah. But, or, or, you know, or, even, or even take action, Shane, because I find that when I'm nervous before a presentation or I'm nervous before a particular phone call I've got to make to a difficult client or a diff difficult prospective client, that energy makes me feel sharper. It makes me feel yeah. more able to react, which I guess when you're saying anxiety can be your best friend, it is actually driving me to behave in a way that will make me more successful in my role, which is a kind of interesting way to frame anxiety, isn't it? Yeah, it's a state of readiness. So, I mean, in an ideal scenario, you'd have a relaxed readiness. So I always explain to my clients, where you kind of want to be with anxiety is, if you think of like a paramedic, now if they're coming to a scene of an emergency or something, and you know, people's lives are at risk, 
you're going to be a bit on edge. You're going to, your body's going to say readiness, but they feel calm enough to deal with it. So when they're speaking to people, if they're regulated, it's like, it's all right. If it's going to be okay, I'm here now. They get information and they're taking action. But it's exactly kind of what you said. It's trying to get you to take action. Now, what happens is a lot of people don't take action and then the anxiety starts building up. And when it starts building up, you start getting overwhelmed. That's when we go into a bit of a shutdown. You go into dorsal vagal activation when we kind of feel that immobilization and the freeze response. So the fight and flight is just what happens when the anxiety or the stress levels, your sympathetic activation starts building up and you start getting a bit overwhelmed as it. Yeah, I can completely see that. And I, I guess when it comes to that building up feeling, it's things like, for me, from a business perspective, it's when I've got a to-do list of certain calls, emails, or actions that I need to take from a, a, a new business perspective at work. If I'm nervous about doing a couple of them and I put them on my Monday to-do list and it doesn't get done, my stress and anxiety for them when it comes to doing them is even higher because I haven't dealt with it then and experienced that small bit of discomfort for a short period. Because once it's done, I'll be more confident to do the next one or the one after that, kind of build momentum, I suppose, with that almost bravery piece. And um, I certainly find that if I haven't taken the action, then the anxiety the next day or the day after that when I've procrastinated on it is higher and there's more nervous energy around that, which as you've said, you want to, you want to get that right balance of kind of relaxed readiness rather than blurting out your words because you're, you're, you're overwhelmed. Yeah. Cause I mean, people like stress gets a bad rep and, and people think like your sympathetic nervous system is just your stress system, but without any stress, we'd all be kind of laying on beach, smoking weed and doing nothing. Right. We wouldn't even get out of bed. So we need some stress. Even that, that cortisol charge up in the morning is going to be as high as levels because it's trying to get you moving. It's trying to get you in the mobilized sort of state, but we want to be, you know, between like sort of six and eight or five and eight, five and eight out of 10, because that's like a decent amount of stress, but it's no longer being overwhelming. If we start going to a nine or a 10, that's when it's exceeding our ability to cope. Now, everybody has a different amount of, of stress capability or resilience to stress. Um, and essentially my work with clients is, is helping them to expand their ability to tolerate stress and then also bounce back from it. That leads us in nicely then, Shane, to if you can share some of the methods that you believe can help us to manage our anxiety or channel it in a more positive way and, and think of these things in a, in a more positive light. So with anxiety, what you want to do is, is learn to, to slow down and put on the brakes. So with anxiety, it's, it, like I said, it's overactivity of, of your sympathetic nervous system. So if you think of your nervous system like a car, so your sympathetic nervous system is like the accelerator. It's go, 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 mobilization, getting you ready. And your parasympathetic nervous system is like the brakes. So for most people when they experience anxiety, their mind's going 100 miles an hour, their mind is racing, they go, 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 they're busy, busy, busy. And this is, you know, this is like 2020 living, right? Except for obviously the last couple of months. But, you know, how we've been living like, is that's how we live. Fast paced, nonstop, keeping up with everyone else, always being busy and not having enough time to just be present with ourselves. Yeah. So we need to practice just slowing down. Um, the number one way to, you know, anxiety is, is part of the culture of the nervous system. The number one way to, to hack your nervous system is through breath work through yoga breathing i'm a yoga breathing coach as well um and it's learning to manipulate your body through your breath even just being conscious with your breath will help sort of calm yourself down and give you some focus because you're being present with yourself but essentially when you take an in-breath your sympathetic nervous system gets charged up and when you take an out-breath it activates your parasympathetic nervous system so with that knowledge we want to extend the parasympathetic nervous system so we're going to extend the exhale so by slowing down the exhale, you can take a nice deep breath into your nose and then slowing down the exhale by making a small open of your mouth. If you imagine you've thrown off a balloon, 
when you blow the balloon up, the air expands, and imagine you're slowly opening up the gap, the gap, and you're slowly letting the air out. That's kind of like what we want to do myself. Um, that's probably one of the easiest ways to slow things down. And same way that when we are breathing too much, you know, a lot of people think that breathing is all about oxygen. Our, our blood oxygen levels are always about 95 to 99% at all times. There's always uh, max saturation levels. The okay. difference is carbon dioxide. So we want to absorb the uh, oxygen. We need a decent amount of carbon dioxide in our body. But what happens when we're breathing too fast and when we grow anxious, we start breathing faster, right? Breath is a life force. The more we're breathing, it's, it's like energy and it's charging ourselves up. So as we're charging ourselves up with that energy, we're breathing faster. And as we're breathing faster, we're expelling more carbon dioxide. Yeah. Now, what happens then is we get a vasoconstriction. So our blood, base, our blood vessels close up, our airways close up, and then our brain and our body receives less oxygen. It absorbs less oxygen. This then excites the nervous system. The nervous system becomes a lot more sensitive, and then it then creates more anxiety, more stress. Now, what happens then? The body starts to breathe even faster. So at the extreme end of the shin, does that drive like the panic attacks that you experienced? That's it. That's exactly that. So, you know, this is an unconscious thing. Sometimes you, you just naturally start breathing faster. You notice you start breathing out of your mouth. We're then expelling a lot of air. There's a lot of high volume of air. Um, and, and then what happens when your body's not, getting, not absorbing enough oxygen, it tries to get more oxygen by breathing even faster and you start spiraling. So what we want to do is, is we want to increase the carbon dioxide and breathe less which almost feels like the opposite thing you want to do. But, you know, people probably remember sort of watching kind of movies in the 80s and stuff where people breathe into a paper bag in American. You know, it's not really something yeah. we've seen over here. But what they're doing is they're breathing carbon dioxide out into the bag and they're breathing that carbon dioxide back into the body. Now, carbon dioxide levels will increase. And then when it increases, your airways open up, your blood flows open up, and it sedates and calms down the nervous system. And it allows your body to absorb the oxygen and your body calms down. So slowing down your breath is going to be the easiest way there are sort of techniques that you want to do for it, but you typically want to close your mouth when you first start noticing it. Breathe through your nose, slow yourself down, breathe into your belly, and just slow down your breathing as much as you can. If you can do this, your nervous system will calm down. Yeah, so number one there is that understanding of breath control and practicing like mindful breathing and, 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 and employing that. And I tuned into a couple of your Instagram lives that you were doing at the, at the start of the lockdown period where you were doing a lot of the um, kind of breathing exercises and tutorials. And although touch wood, I was, I was again, I've, I've said I'm not a particularly anxious person a lot of time, but it was the uncertainty of the lockdown. It's, it's good to tune into these things. And ultimately there's nothing to lose from being a bit more mindful about how you control and manage what's going on inside your head. What would you say are some of the other techniques that you would use with with clients shane to help manage anxiety alongside the, the breathing exercises and control um different psychosensory techniques so psychosensory techniques are techniques that uses your senses to change your psych so typically it's it's things like touch um things so you, you've got one called havening which creates delta waves developed by neuroscientists delta okay. waves as, as most people know the slowest brain waves that your body produces when you're feeling anxious, you're typically going to be more in kind of beta brain waves, you know, the fast, rapid kind of brain waves, whereas delta like the slowest brain waves. Um, that in itself is just going to calm the nervous system down and sloping down. But touching itself is very therapeutic. You know, most people really underestimate how important if you are feeling anxious, you are feeling emotional. If somebody that you loved literally just held you and said, This feeling's normal, everything's gonna be okay, and just held you in this moment has accepted you whatever you're feeling that in itself is so undervalued it, I, I couldn't even i can't even emphasize it enough yeah um everybody needs to be held no matter how old you are 
being held makes you feel safe. It's so hardwired to us as human beings. Touch is very therapeutic. If I was to give you a hug, that means I'm saying that I trust you. I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. So that's why I like this whole social distance thing, essentially saying that person might be dangerous. You're not okay. I'm not okay. We're not okay. Yeah. Which is going to create anxiety. So doing things like the evening, which uses touch, so you just like rubbing your arms up and down, um, doing things like the tapping, which apparently works on the Chinese meridians, same as acupuncture. Um, okay. It sounds sounds crazy because you know, like I said, I'm a very kind of left wing little brain finger, but I've had plenty of clients where none of the other sort of stuff has worked, and the tapping has worked sort of wonders. So I'm, I'm trained in thought field therapy, which is like the OG of a uh, tapping, which all the other sort of tapping sort of came from originally. Okay. Um, but essentially works on the same principles as acupuncture, but rather than using needles, you're just tapping on the end of the meridian points. And it works like gangbusters. It's crazy. Crazy yeah. how it works. I'm, um, uh, I'm fully open-minded to all of this stuff because, I mean, I've shared in the podcast before that for the last two and a half months, I've started gratitude journaling. If you told me at 21, leaving university, young guy, going into a sales role, like just wanting to smash it and getting sick shape, and just make as much money as possible that I would spend three minutes in the morning, three minutes at night gratitude journaling, I would have laughed in your face. So when it comes to wider things, I'm, I'm much more open-minded than ever before in terms of managing what's going on inside, inside the, the, t- the top few inches of your head. But that's the thing. Like a lot of my, one of the main things I, I, I try and emphasize with my clients is that if you want to change, if you want your life to change, you have to figure out where you're making mistakes and fucking up and going wrong. Because if you're not realizing where you're going wrong and what you're, you've not figured out, you're never going to change. So you have to, to look to prove yourself wrong. And if you can challenge yourself and prove yourself wrong, that's where you're going to, you know, you're going to get most of your gold. Because if, if you were getting it right, you wouldn't be in this position right now, you know? But there's nothing wrong with failing or making mistakes. It just means feedback. Yeah. When it, so alongside touch and breathing and some of the techniques we've spoken about, one of the things I've heard you speak about before, Shane, is, is perspective and understanding, like, what's actually going on what are the kind of things that you you talk about with your clients to to frame that so most of the time people tell themselves a story all the time we all live in our kind of subconscious stories kind of our personal beliefs about things so often say for example you'd experience something and you begin oh i don't know why i'm feeling this way oh i don't know like this feels stupid i don't feel like this and you kind of just block the feelings and you, you kind of tell yourself a story about it and he says, I shouldn't be feeling like this. And you, you kind of shame yourself with all these kind of like shoulds and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you don't allow yourself to feel. So you kind of stop the process. But we need to practice kind of not making judgments because we judge ourselves all the time. We judge other people all the time. And we, we automatically go into our subconscious stories. That's why, you know, there's so much projection nowadays where even with uncertainty, we fill in the blanks. But you're going to fill in the blanks with whatever you've got in your mind. And sometimes what you've got in your mind isn't the most healthiest thing. Yes. So it's learning to just observe to not make any judgment. So when you are feeling something, rather than telling yourself a story about it or trying to figure out why you're feeling that way, just okay. to notice. Just to notice and explore and go, oh, I'm noticing this feeling in my chest. A lot of people react to it. So, you know, I've been getting some tinnitus recently, you know, whether it's 5G, wherever you can kind of think it might be, but I've been getting like a wee, and then recently a really weird one is pop, 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 and I've never had that before in my life. Now, a lot of my clients experience anxiety, but when I'm experiencing the tinnitus, uh, so not my clients experience scientists, but when I experienced scientists, it was like, huh, that's interesting. And I just observed it. Yeah. Versus a lot of my clients, they'd experience it and they'd be like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. Oh my God, you know, there must be something wrong and I must be going crazy. And it's like, they go into that and that triggers anxiety. So it's never really about what you're experiencing, it's your story about it. 
and these are subconscious stories that you don't even know are in there and they will just surface and come up to surface so one of the easiest things or to reframe is, is just understand that you know don't try to make sense of things sometimes you just have to observe it and just notice until you can find out more information and then also with noticing your behaviors and the things that you do you're going to have a lot of unconscious behaviors that you don't know you're doing so a lot of times you'll beat yourself up about the things that you do because a lot of these behaviors aren't very helpful you know people that emotionally eat you know a lot of people do that i, I kind of still do it it's a comfort thing that most people do yeah. um but understand that no matter what it is that you do every single behavior has a good intention behind it so often before we can even begin to change with my clients i'll get them to explore what the positive intention is behind it a lot of them go oh no I, I, there's no such thing as a positive intention for this i'm like there will be your body's doing something for you the two most basic things is to make you safe or to make you happy that's it yeah on some level it's it, your, your behavior is doing something one of those things that's that's a huge point shane and one of the things that i've observed in the last kind of six seven months in my own life has been when you are feeling particularly uncomfortable or maybe maybe it is anxiety trying to shift or distract yourself rather than go into that state and one of the most common things and everyone listening to this will have done this is when you feel that little bit uncomfortable you reach for your phone you reach for a way to get some sort of dopamine or some sort of hit some sort of distraction to move you away from it one of the things i called myself out on was if i'm sitting at a, at my laptop in the office and i get a challenging email come back to me and i'm thinking about how am i going to reply to this one and you've kind of maybe got a little bit of anxiety or some nerves about how you're going to deal with that and you it's it's difficult it's a challenge rather than going into that moment and thinking okay this has happened i need to think of a way forward but also understand why this is you reach for your phone you go on your whatsapp you go on your instagram you you try and distract and seek seek distraction which i think is something i'm certainly working on not doing because like you say when you take that time on a more serious level perhaps to really soak in and acknowledge that moment be present within it understand or maybe not even seek to explain it but seek to experience it you can move forward much more easily than if you always just mask it and push it further down the line or, or try and escape it at that time. And that's it. Like emotions will only last 90 seconds or a maximum they'll last 90 seconds. It's scientific yeah. fact. Your emotions, if we got you to think about your most perfect memory that you've ever experienced or your most perfect thing, you'll feel all your nice, happy feelings. And then within 90 seconds, it will go. It's not going to be a permanent thing. Yep. So what most people don't realize is when, it, when your emotion is first triggered, yes that is like the automatic sort of response but what happens after is you keep pressing the button by telling yourself the story you'll keep pressing the story rather than just experiencing what you're experiencing self-regulating and calming your body down setting a point that you're safe and it yeah. will just pass now what most people do is they'll have a kind of they'll distract themselves they're going to have a flight response which is more mobilization which stacks more stress on top of it or they'll try to numb themselves through drugs drink porn all these kind of things yeah and what we want to do is when we go, if we try to resist the feeling of anxiety or we resist our emotions, that's the fight response. If we try to move away from it or distract ourselves, that is the flight response. And what we're doing essentially in, in that sort of response to it is we're reinforcing the anxiety response because we're basically saying, yes, this is a threat. This is something that we're trying to get away from or, you know, resist. Versus what we want to do is we just need to signal to the body that we are safe. The body's sensing a threat. Now, if you logically know that you're, you're okay and you're not feeling like a threat, you can logically know that. 
but there'll be as soon as anxiety is kicked in your rational thinking brain is switched off so your mind and body is disconnected so all the thoughts and that can go on your body is not going to then switch off just to the thought typically you know sometimes you can catch it early it can but most of the time if it gets to a certain point anxiety is fully kicked in and your rational brain is just completely switched off you're in your subconscious responses now when that happens you can only work bottom up so most therapies are top-down therapies, counseling, CBT, things like that. They work on your rational thinking brain. So your adult brain gets it, it makes sense of it. So yeah, get it, understand it, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Anybody that experiences anxiety knows it's anything but rational. So when it's kicked in like that, your rational thinking brain switched off, your limbic system's taken over, and your autonomic system's just taken over the show. When that happens, you have to regulate and send a signal to the body that it's safe. So you have to speak to the body, language of the body. How do we do this? Things like yoga breathing, things like the tapping, things like bilateral stimulation, um, these are all things, and, you know, the touch, things that I was talking about like that, these yeah. are all things which are signaling safety to the body and telling the body, it's right, it's okay. We don't need to be feeling this. We don't have that response. Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredibly powerful because like you say, that kind of top-down approach is the typical approach that we would go to or medication or, or, or something like that, whereas what you're preaching and what you're using with your clients is very much trying to deal with that element of the brain, which is not rational. It's not something that can always be spoken to in that sense. And this is why people find, you know, therapy, you know, just, just hard or difficult because when you're in your kind of emotional responses, that prefrontal cortex, you, when you communicate in part of your brain is shut down. So you're not going to be able to put it into words. You're not going to be able to talk about it. And, you know, talk therapy and that can be re-traumatizing for a lot of people because they'll, they'll talk about this certain thing. They'll get activated, which is when we're feeling the kind of anxiety response or the emotional response that we have. That literally takes you and regresses you back to the situation or the experience that you had. And then no regulation is being done. So even though you can logically understand it as an adult and go, yeah, you know, I can accept what's happened and, you know, I can understand it now, blah, blah, blah. Logically, your body's still freaking out. You still need to sort of work through the body. So this is the great way of the way that I work. I don't even have to know anything about the client. I don't even have to know what the client's in terms of what's going on, what the, what the experience is. Yeah. I don't need them to go over it again and again and again. They just need to trigger it. Then we just start to move away from it and start to process it. And within, you know, 10 to 30 minutes, once we process it, we'll go back to it and we'll test it. And then when you go back to it, you won't be able to get the same thing back. And if that would sound crazy, I know. But until you've experienced it, you'll never kind of really understand it. Yeah, exactly. And you've been in that space for a period of time now and you'll have your clients that will have gone through that and been a testament to, to that approach as well. One of the other areas you deal with is PTSD, isn't it? So post-traumatic stress disorder, which for any listeners automatically will associate that things with veterans that have served in war or people that have um, maybe gone through a really traumatic event like a, a, a sexual assault or something like that. But from having listened to you before, Shane, and followed your page, that's not always the case. It doesn't always come from extreme incidents like that. Would you like to share a little bit with the listeners around your work around PTSD as well? Well, essentially, it's the same thing. You know, it's, it's that we have an unresolved experience. And PTSD is essentially the, the, like an extreme form or the, the kind of extreme end of a trauma. So if something like, you know, your, um, your girlfriend cheating on you in your first relationship, and then in, in every relationship after that, you're a bit suspicious or you kind of don't put yourself out there. That is a result of trauma and the trauma response. You know, that's one level side of it. But when we forget to PTSD things where we're having extreme flashbacks, that's where we was in such an extreme threat that we got so overwhelmed. We didn't get the regulation after. So it's never about what happens. It's about what didn't happen after. We didn't get the kind of nurturing. We didn't get a support. We didn't get the, the space and safety anchor. The experience we experienced, then come in, feel grounded and be okay and express it. 
so the idea is we go for the experience of life um you know like the they say like the law of energies that energy cannot be created or destroyed so the idea is we experience something we kind of take on the energy we experience the energy and then we express it and then it carries on but often that doesn't happen often we just experience it and we don't express it we don't feel safe to express it because we're in certain situations where we don't feel safe so when that happens it kind of locks up the system and it's, PTSD is actually one of, one of the easiest things to work with because they know what the issue is. They're yeah. getting flashbacks. You know, they, they know specifically this event happened. And then we just call the event, work on it, process it. And then after they think about it, it'll be more blurry, more distant, or they won't even have to think about it. Often when I've worked with clients where they've been through some really extreme stuff, um, their mind wouldn't even go back to it. So once we'd worked on it, it's like their mind couldn't even recreate that thing that they couldn't get out of their mind for like years. That yeah. haunted them. Their mind wouldn't go back to it ever again. Now the reason why it's coming up is because your body wants to heal. Your body's saying to you, right, you went through this experience. You couldn't, we don't process trauma in the moment. In the moment, it's all about survival. We process it after. Sometimes months, sometimes years after. And this is where sometimes people get caught up because they start feeling these emotions or these things start coming up. So it's like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. You know, my life's actually okay now. I feel quite okay in my life. I'm not in that same situation before. But that's the exact time when things will come up, when you are feeling a bit more safe and you are kind of yeah. feeling a bit more regulated. Your body um, feels ready. Your mind feels ready to say, we're going to go and address that now because we're ready to. Yeah, it's, just, it's screaming out. So we all have like this wounded child essentially inside us that's basically trying to get our attention and it will get our attention in however way it can. So with flashbacks, you're trying to go, look, but you know, this this thing that you've not worked on, these things don't resolve. Same with a lot of times with these, uh, a lot of these kind of OCD thoughts. You know, sometimes I've had clients where they've had um, really horrific thoughts about certain things or, you know, harming people that they care about. Okay. But your mind will create whatever thought it needs to to create the feeling which is stuck inside you. So when we have these kind of suppressed emotions inside you, it will think, okay, if you're not listening to your body, what could I think of or what could I make you think of to then trigger the feeling? And then the idea is it's trying to get you to go into those feelings and you can then process it and, and heal. Um, but this is the way the body works. Your body wants you to heal, but we just never been taught how. And this is why we kind of tend to like the prison of our own minds. Yeah, that's, that's powerful, Shane. I think it's interesting. I would never have thought that PTSD would come around when you're potentially better, quote unquote better, in terms of your body then decides to address it, you would always think that potentially PTSD would be something that would stay with you straight after the incident all the way through until you dealt with it. But like you say, it can start to recur after a period of time, which is um, which is where services like your, your, yourself come into it. Now, importantly, and one of the big things that I like about your content is that you also talk about responsibility and it's not necessarily a case of or woe is me, like this is my problems. You have a really understanding side and that much has been clear throughout the, this conversation. But you've also spoken about responsibility. How do, you, how do you introduce that concept to your clients who perhaps are feeling maybe a little bit um, down and almost some, in some instances almost sorry for themselves? Everybody at some level have some sort of victim mentality, right? Because you know, if we have an issue with certain feelings, typical main ones are going to be guilt and shame. So when these feelings are so overpowering, when it's very overwhelming, any emotion that's overwhelming will trigger anxiety. So as a way to protect ourselves, we will do anything we can to unconsciously avoid guilt and uh, shame. Yeah. This often means not accepting responsibility for things and just kind of pointing and blaming everyone else because we'd feel such extreme shame and guilt about the thing 
because of the story about it or the story we have about guilt and shame um, that we didn't experience too much anxiety and we'll be able to accept it but you can, you can deliver this message with compassion and it has to be done with compassion so i can accept any of these emotions if i can sort of stay regulated so imagine that say for example like i kind of mentioned earlier if some of these emotions are coming up now most people when they're experiencing their emotions other people find it very difficult yeah. they're trying to change it they can't accept it they can't just be with it and just stay regulated often it's because you care about the person so say for example someone might be upset or they may be experiencing an emotion that you, you know are feeling a bit anxious you start going oh my god i need to i need to help them i need to fix them i need to, I need to do something about it yeah from the kindness of your own heart but essentially what it's signaling to that person is that i cannot accept you feeling what you're feeling right now as you are this is yeah as you are right now so being able to stay regulated basically means that my body stays down here my body stays very calm so my clients are doing all the the stuff that their bodies are doing i'm cool well, i'm like yeah my body can accept this this is fine but we're here for a reason and the emphasis is all about like i said it's all about the client themselves so i'm not exploring you i'm not finding out your secrets i'm not judging you or anything like that i'm just showing you a process it's your job to explore yourself it's your job to heal and you know we all have this this inner wounded child inside us most people will be seeking other people to seek to, to um, nurture their own inner child because it's, that's what we probably didn't receive as much as we kind of needed as a child. Um, and we'll also seek to try to parent other people's child in it, over Indian childs. So this is where we kind of be rescuers. We try and save other people. And, you know, for a long time, I was a rescuer. Probably from my experience growing up and seeing my mum depressed, I probably wanted to rescue her a lot. Um, and, you know, the only person that you can save is yourself. You can't help anyone else. It comes back uh, to know, that childhood experience there where you're saying that because you saw your mum depressed and you tried probably tried to help with that, when you grew up, you were still trying to do that for, for other people? Yeah, probably on some unconscious level. I didn't know that consciously, but it yeah. probably played a part. You know, I mean, the main reason why I was, I was a personal trainer for like 13 years because I really enjoyed helping other people. Yeah. You know, I really enjoyed helping other people sort of make that change. And I think it's the same for a lot of people that, that get into it, you know. Um, but but it, it, and same with when I first kind of started doing this. I was always trying to save the client. I would, I would go over time in all my sessions and, and do everything I can. To, 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 I was taking too much responsibility for them. But that never works because what it does, it keeps them in a stuck state because they're getting, they're, getting what, they're getting some level of nurturing. So people won't be doing this consciously, but the anxiety will be serving a purpose. It's their way of receiving love and attention and support and all these other good things, which is why these kind of support groups are toxic as hell. If you've ever been in kind of anxiety support groups or fibromyalgia support groups online on Facebook and stuff, Jesus Christ, they are a pit of despair. You know, literally yeah. everybody, because if you start, if, you get, if all of a sudden you, no one really understands you, and all of a sudden this whole group now understands you and they get you. If you start to change and heal and recover, you're now rejected. You're no longer accepted into the, the club, right? So for most people, they want to feel a sense of connection. They want to feel a sense of acceptance. So if you can get that in these kind of these groups, then you're not going to want to change. Um, and the same sort of group of clients, I, I basically have to sort of call them out and they go, look, I'm only here to, to help you sort of change. Only you can sort of save yourself. You need to be the one that starts nurturing yourself and reparenting yourself. Um, and this is why, like, one of the most important questions that anybody can ever ask themselves when they are feeling anxious or feeling emotional, one of the best questions you can ask yourself is, do I feel like my full adult self right now? And the answer will always be no. Yeah. So when you recognize that and you feel like you're probably being like a younger version of yourself, it can allow you to have a little bit more compassion and just think, okay, there's a part of me, a wounded part that's just coming up the surface what can I do to, to nurture that? What does that part of me need? 
versus telling me, why am I feeling this way? I'm an adult. I should be feeling like this. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you tell yourself these stories and you essentially invalidate how you feel. And it's like having a five-year-old kid who's really upset and emotional and you're just going, nope, go away. Leave me alone. I don't want to pay attention. Yeah. Versus just going, you know, what's going on? No matter what you feel, it's okay. I can accept you. I can love you. I'm going to help nurture you and be there for you. It seems that it's that combination that you're looking for of self-acceptance of what's going on but also personal responsibility for understanding it dealing with it and moving forward in due course when you're when you have the mechanism to do so and that's where the coaching and the consulting side of things come into that yeah so i mean that, that's why my whole is like i say to my clients that I, I can't babysit you and you know it'd be a great business model if you could just pay me every single time and you'd come see me forever that'd be great but that's not what i'm about I didn't really like when I was kind of like just helping regulate or do all regulation for my clients, you know, I didn't feel like I was doing my job. So now the whole emphasis is going, look, I have a four week program and it's where we meet up once a week for four weeks and I'm teaching you to protest. And there's no promise that I'm going to get you to a certain point in any four weeks. But most of the time we work through a lot of people's stuff where they will feel, you know, the main problem that they come in for is gone. But the issue is never the issue when somebody comes to see you, but then they learn the process. And in that way, that teaches you how to walk your own journey, how to actually kind of discover yourself and find out yourself. So the concept is, you know, it's 100% you. I kind of call it because you're born 100% you, you're born 100% authentic. Yep. As you go through life, you experience these things, parts of you split off, and then they start doing this emotion that didn't get worked through with that belief, that pattern, and that age. And then what you're essentially doing is those little parts of you are then what get triggered. That's what's getting regressed, and that's what the emotion is playing out. So we're just exploring these different things that come up healing them, reintegrating you and becoming a bit more of your 100% self. When you're eventually your 100% self and you work through this sort of stuff, you have no triggers. So you'll feel free to be yourself. So nobody can control you with trying to shame you or trying to guilt you into sort of doing these things. You can just speak, speak authentically and just truly be yourself. Um, and that's when you're going to know yourself. So a lot of people have no idea who they are. You know, they've picked up these certain beliefs about themselves. Um, you know, a lot of people have these negative beliefs that they're stupid or it's not good enough, just what they picked up. And yeah. they're stuck with them, you know. It becomes almost like a, a rule for life. And it's, it's really upsetting to sort of see and sad to see. But if people are willing to do the work, they can sort of do the change. But they have to be the one that does the work. I can't babysit you. I'm not going to be there 24 hours a day. But I can't show you what to do. But only you can do it. Yeah, I love that mindset. I love that mindset. Oh, we've got a furry friend come to join us. <laughs> For the people watching on YouTube, Shane's got an absolutely adorable dog. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to touch on, Shane, was environment. So uh, what's around us, what we put in our minds and our, our eyes and our ears um, plays a big role. What advice would you have for, for people around controlling their environment with respect to their mental health? People, sorry, people help. So we, we co-regulate with our people, um, but it has to be people that are kind of like healed. And when I say healed, it, you know, not people that are, are damaged or anything like that, but people that have done the work because they can accept and not take your emotions personally. But most of the time, when we are not healed, we take everything personally. So somebody's emotions or somebody's actions will take anything personally. We tell ourselves a story about it. And then that will kind of not allow you to kind of just be yourself and express yourself to be able to then be accepted. Um, so that helps. Social media, is, again, is, is, is things that people consume. And a lot of times just information overload. So it's practicing to just be in your body, practicing things like yoga, being in your body, any exercise, any kind of bodily movement. You know, trauma is stored in the body. You need to work for it with the body. It's not a mind thing. You know, if you ask yourself when you feel bad or when you feel emotional, where do you feel it? 
you don't feel it in your thoughts you feel it in your body right yeah so it has to be a kind of body thing so it's returning back to the body returning to yourself um and it's just you know what you put in your body plays a big effect you know eating too much carbohydrates uh even when you're just eating too much sugar it will deplete your thiamine levels your vitamin b1 that's a yeah. huge kind of thing for your brain as well you know all these things will have a huge effect um but it's simply it's, it's an act of taking care of yourself so for me one of my self-care things is going to the gym when i'm looking after myself and i'm looking good for me that's basically saying to my body my body is worth taking care of you know i am worth looking after yeah so a lot of times people with depression, they kind of, they're not, not getting dressed, not getting showered, they're not sort of taking care of themselves. The more you can take care of yourself, self-care, you know, it's, it's the buzzword that, you know, people hear about, but people don't really kind of really understand it. It's literally just looking after yourself. That means listening to your needs, figuring out what needs aren't being met, you know, learning how to then, you know, express that and communicate that and be able to start understanding yourself. But you have to have a growth mindset. I love that, Shane. To bring oh. yourself wrong. I absolutely love that. And on the growth mindset, Carol Dweck's book is one of my, one of my, one of, one of my favorites when it comes to kind of opening my mind to different perspectives and putting myself in a better position on self-care. It makes me laugh when your definition of self-care is very similar to my own in terms of you're eating well, you're looking after your body, you're training, you're probably sleeping well, you're probably consuming positive sources or you're limiting the amount of sources that you're consuming on social media. Whereas sometimes there's that skewed definition of self-care being been on the sofa for four hours watching Netflix with a bottle of wine and a pint of ice cream, which I appreciate that definitely serves somebody's needs at some point. But a lot of people think that that's, that's the definition of self-care for a fleeting moment. Whereas your definition of self-care and one that, which definitely aligns my own is that all round piece where you're looking after the body, which as you say, stores a lot of that trauma and reflects the trauma. So if you're not looking after that, you're going to be in a very challenging position to, to address what else is going on inside inside the mind it's just common sense you know self-care actually works because you know if, if my self-care was you know stuffing my face full of ice cream and then it led to you know unhealthy other issues it's an unhealthy strategy so the strategy the, the intention behind it is great this is the thing we make mistakes with the intention is often good but a strategy in the way you're trying to achieve it is typically not so good yeah. um, and this is what all of our subconscious behaviors are your, all of your subconscious behaviors always have a good intention behind it, but sometimes the strategy is not so good. So it's all about kind of recognizing when we're doing these things, what's it trying to achieve? And when you figure out what it's trying to achieve, figure out a way that you can do it in a, a little bit more of a healthier way. Um, and just, just learning to get to know yourself, you know, exploring yourself and, and understanding yourself versus the preconceived notions where you never challenge these ideas and these beliefs that are already in there. So it's learning, you know, that Carol Dweck book is, I recommend that to all my clients that growth mindset if you don't have that you're going to find it very difficult to recover from anxiety because you will never look to challenge yourself you never look for you know where you can sort of then make mistakes and then grow from it because we need to fail so you know i always say to people the reason why i can do what i do and the reason why i get great results with my clients is i've, I've fucked up more, more times than anyone yeah but i can accept that and, and i bounce back from it very quickly because I, I i look to why it didn't work and then explore it and i can accept it whereas we can't accept it what you persist, what you resist persists. So when we can't accept something, we can never change. Same yeah. with how we feel and how we are. You have to accept where you are at the moment. Sometimes where you are is not a very good place at all, but that's fine. Once you can accept it, then you can start the process of growth. We can start moving forwards. Yeah, it's that you've you've come back to that point of self acceptance and then responsibility again, which is a is, is a nice theme for us to end on, Shane. 
for the for the listeners that are um, interested in finding out a little bit more about you, where are the best places to to go, Shane? Uh, most most of my stuff's on Instagram, so it's anxiety specialist on Instagram. Um, I've got a free anxiety resource hub. So in my anxiety resource hub, I've got the um, my three step process to deal with anxiety, the anxiety recovery guide. I've got a few kind of guided yoga breathing sessions, which are also on Instagram TV if you want to go in there. Um, and then I've got a panic attack stop up. So how to stop a panic attack or anxiety in a moment. This is a tool to help you to regulate. If you practice that every single day, and it's just completely for free, I, I guarantee your nervous system will be in a much better sort of thing. It's a bit like a muscle. You have to sort of train it. Um, but I also have an anxiety foundation course, which lays the foundation and all the education side of it to kind of get yourself ready to do the work later. Um, yeah. And that was basically just created to kind of save my client, save the time in my sessions rather than explaining everything and you know taking up my client's time. They can go for the course. It's a very short course, but it's learning to understand yourself and understanding all of these unconscious things that aren't really there. Um, so that aren't really conscious in your mind. So that's only kind of like 47 pound as well. And then that's when that would prepare somebody to then do the, the later work, they'd work with me. Yeah, a lot of different options there. And I'll link all those in the show notes below. And I think the beauty of what you do, Shane, particularly during this period is that the vast majority of it is online, which means that people anywhere in the UK, anywhere in the world can can work with you. A lot of my listeners are, are spread all over the place. So it's not limited by by geography and it's that kind of modern approach to dealing with your mental health and having lots of different options to that for those listeners that have really enjoyed that please pop a screenshot in your instagram story tag shane tag myself drop us a five-star ring on apple and i'll be back to speak to you all again very very soon